0: everybody excited about apologetics <laughs> I can tell with some eagerness you're here to listen I'm glad about that unfortunately uh, we don't have a screen and this is uh, originally designed to be a strong present presentation with a screen so you're gonna have to use some of your intellectual abilities and focus Thus, the reason for the strong mint <laughs> Matter of fact, it's a little known, known fact that there was a Harvard study that said that um, if you were to put a candle in the front of the room, has anybody ever heard the this study? Don't you love how we all speakers like quote these studies and we don't cite them anywhere? As if, they could be Instagram studies, who knows, but if you put a this one is truly done, it's actually from a book called Five Minds of the Future, um, but if you put a candle in the very front with your generation. Uh, which you guys get a bad rap. I actually really love your generation. But with your generation, yeah, I'm in that. And I'm much older than you all, so I really mean I do love your generation. Uh, If you put a candle in the very front, just the dancing of the candle opens up different pathways to learn. Uh, You might experience it through like, you know, putting music on in the background or something like that because you have to turn off some of your limbic areas. But Uh, I don't have that today, so maybe the curiously strong man. If you need to take three of them, feel free. I don't need that box back. I just want you to be able to focus. Let's go ahead and get get started. Uh, I'm going to pray real quick. Yeah, pass pass that across. Thank you. Lord, what an honor it is to uh, have the gospel revelation in our heart. What an honor it is to be, as Josh just said, Christ's ambassadors for you wherever we go. What an honor it is, Lord, to defend this thing called the scriptures in your kingdom. And so I just pray today that as we jump into this, that there's some joy, some encouragement, some excitement, uh, maybe even some new understanding, uh, maybe some resourcing, Lord, in our heart, and above all else, your empowerment. So Lord, bless these hearts. Thank you for their commitment to you. And we ask that you anoint this time, not just ours, but the rest of the teaching moments across this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 So, of course, you're wondering who I am. Uh, My name is Robbie. I am the Chi Alpha director at Georgia Tech, and then specifically over the city of Atlanta. Uh, I'm not here to recruit anybody, but we do have seven more campuses that we need Chi Alpha's on in Atlanta, so that's a shameless plug. Uh, I'm new to Chi Alpha. Actually, when I say new, I'm about five years in. I'm not like the Golden Road kind of Chi Alpha person that everybody has been experiencing, you know, where you get saved on the campus, you get filled with the Holy Spirit on the campus, you get discipled in a small group, and then you start feeling the call at SALT, and then you become a CMIT and all that kind of stuff. That's not how it happened for me. I was just a guy from South Georgia that uh, had a radical moment with the Holy Spirit, and and had nobody to tell me what was happening Uh, that actually got kicked out of the church that I got saved in because it was a Baptist church and then long story short, I got to a place called the Assemblies of God only because it was where I knew that all the other people that were like me were going, there was no affinity for, for the theology, I had no historical Christian background, I did not understand. Uh, What a lot of people already understand when they come to church at a very young age I got saved when I was 15 feel the baptism of the Holy Spirit at 16 those types of things But I felt the call to the Lord so I went pastored for many years and was really great at it But hated it true story We had large crowds coming anybody that can communicate somewhat effectively draws a crowd. That's the problem in our culture So that was not the issue What I was really looking for was a group of people that were going to die for the gospel. See, we define discipleship in Cuyahoga, Atlanta, as death to self, adoption of life of Christ. I'm okay with many of the other definitions. Harv Herman and I have talked about this many times, and he has all the, if you went to, um, if you've been to World Mission Summit or anything like that, you've heard many different definitions. Living life together, those types of things, uh, sharing life, follow me and we'll make you fishers of men. I define it the way Jesus defined it, and i was pretty prideful when I say that, but I have searched the Scriptures pretty strong. Luke 9, 23 and 24, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must do what? Deny himself first. We sometimes forget that. We go straight to the pick up the cross thing. Deny himself, take up his cross win Daily. And do what? Follow me. Where do we were following him to? It's a foreshadowing to Golgotha, which is where he died on that cross. And then he says in his resurrection, now you get to go do that in my absence. So now here we are as Christ followers or Christ ambassadors. And we have a low definition of what it really means to be a disciple because we say it's community. It's not just community. That's an aspect. Really what discipleship means is that you are a slave, as James says in James 1, a doulos to the king. You are a slave to him. You have no rights and you have to serve him with everything if you want to be. A disciple, And so what I have taken that to understand is that even in your intellect, even in your processes of life, even in your thoughts, you have to say, Lord, this is my new me. This is my new normal. Teach me to truly follow you, to take up my cross, to deny myself. And so we define it as death, to self-adoption life of Christ. That's how you become a disciple. Now, community happens inside of that. And that's where the fun part is, right? But we're not here to talk about the fun part because we're talking about apologetics. Why? Do you guys understand where we're at as a culture right now? Does, has anybody seen, uh, as I put in the title, the arc narrative of the post-Christian world? Does anybody understand where we're at right now in our world? Has anybody done any historical observation of where Christianity first started in the Mesopotamian? Yes, where are we at? Uh, we are the first Thank you. That is an absolute astute awareness. Did anybody understand or not understand what he just said? Yes, go for it. Uh, We are the first generation growing up in post Christian world where kids are growing up not knowing anything about Jesus. In America, since the foundation that we understand, because it's kind of ambiguous, especially if you look at our politics, right? In America, we have historically after we conquered a people group and became America, (laughs) we are historically a Christian nation. That means that the guiding principles that really moved the mass of our understanding was first and foremost built on a somewhat biblical perspective. Now that's changed throughout the years. We have these atrocities, known as slavery. We have these atrocities known as misogyny. I get all of those types of things. That's a shame on us. But the reality is, is that the foundation has been primarily and first and foremost, a Christian-based understood society. It's the greatest uh, experiment the world's ever seen. America's only 250 plus years old or something like that. I don't know the exact amount, but you are following what I'm saying? We're relatively new. <laughs> And for the first time in American history, now that we can observe this thing through social sciences, we're seeing your generation is growing up in a post-Christian world. And what that means is that the majority of people in your society, in your personal culture on the campus, don't think first that Jesus is real. Don't think first that the kingdom is. Now, we get in the bubble sometimes, don't we? Because we're Chi Alpha. We have a, you said D group, we call them life groups, or we have our large group gathering. And so we get into a bubble. But I promise you, if you get out of that bubble, the majority of people that are walking on your campus did not first and foremost go, now, it's a little different here in this, the, the Bible Belt, right? Agreed? You know, a little different. I promise you, it is not, at my campus, which is 42% effective international students at Georgia Tech, I promise you, you have to find Christians. Largest campus fellowship on our campus campus of 29,000 students is 200 students. It's the largest. And they don't preach the gospel like we preach it, which is death to self-adoption life of Christ. They preach community. I promise you, if you're not careful, in a post-Christian world, community is actually going to be very dangerous for you. That's whenever we have the love wins movement. That's whenever we have everybody goes to heaven moments, as long as we can be friends. Doesn't Jesus say that the gospel is at first and foremost offensive to the world? Yeah. We forgot about that one for a couple hundred years. Here's what I mean. And I'm not trying to be like, man, doom and gloom. I'm trying to say that there's rapidly coming a time in your world and in your adult situation where you're going to be leaders in the marketplace, the church, you know, you got to list missions where the primary person, culture, the listener that you're going to engage is going to reject the gospel in its foundational form, not just in a personal rejection. In other words, that's not true because we all know it's not true. Does that make sense? That's an indicator of a post Christian world. So, why apologetics? Who knows the definition of apologetics? I wish I had my screen so I could show you and being congruent. Go for it. An argument given in defense. Absolutely. In the simplicity form, it's an argument given in a defense. Let's, let's explore that a little bit more. What else is apologetics? I was just going to say that defending your faith through a to Yes. Absolutely. That's a, that's a strong derivative of the same thing. What else? What is implied in a strong defense or an argument giving against or the defending of your faith? No, no, that was a great answer. No, I'm so sorry. That was a great answer. I'm in like my teaching mode right now, so sorry. They only give me 50 minutes, so I got to jump on it, you know? What else is it? What is implied whenever it's an argument? Don't you have to do or understand something to provide an argument? Yes? You have to understand other side of your argument. Thank you. You have to know where they're coming from as well. I love the fact, and, and Josh really rightly so, just said everybody's got a story. We forget in our Christian circle that so do they. Mm-hmm. Have you ever met anybody who has been a part of the Christian faith and now they have a story, they're no longer a part of it? So can we rely only on the fact that you've got a story? Nobody can take that from you. That is a true and right thing. I'm not belittling anything that Josh said. I do want you to hear what I'm saying but it is so much more in a post-Christian world. I'm going to use an illustration for you in about 10 minutes that I hope absolutely quivers your spine that just happened to me on December 17th. So now I'm going to leave you hanging for a second. What else is implied with the definition of rightly defending your faith? What else is implied? You have to know their argument. You have to have a defense of your arguments, in other words, you need to have a very strong understanding of where your position is, but you also have to have a skill of what? What was that? Communication, Communication. yes. What's involved in communication? Talking and listening. And listening. Anybody can talk. I just said that a minute ago. Listen, I've drawn crowds of thousands. I used to get paid a lot of money to go do that. I can't do that anymore. Because just because we're talking figures sometimes doesn't matter. I want to see a generation of apologetists who get it, who can defend their faith because they have the revelation of the Holy Spirit of what the cross truly means. And so that whenever you're able to stand in front of kings, as is promised in a post-Christian world, have you read your scriptures? When persecution comes, not if, that you'll be able to stand very confidently and strongly and even be willing to be placed in chains and even be willing to really take that cross up that we say we like to do all the time. That's where I'm wondering where this generation is at. That's what I'm hoping begins to really capture some of our spirits. So communication, and because I'm not on my notes on this, I'm going to have to kind of go through a little bit. First Peter chapter three. Please go there if you if you can, because I don't have it on the screen, and I'd like to even proof text it just so that I am not lying to you. First Peter chapter three. Does anybody have the courage to read today? this one? Let's go to, great question. Let's go to, um, let me get back to my PowerPoint. Let's go to verse 12. Let's just start at verse 12 and go down to 15 for a second. 1 Peter 3. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and the ears attend to their prayer. For the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you will prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But think, Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who uh, revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Thank you. Was that C.S.V. Uh, New, American, thank you. New American, thank you. Did you catch it? I'm, I could read it again, there's no need to, because I'm, I'm, I'm sure you were following along. It says, be ready to defend, worship the Lord your God with all of your life, so it begins to have a proof text to what Jesus said of seek first the kingdom and Make sure that the Shema Deuteronomy 6.4 is an active part of your daily Gentile slash Jewish life as a Christ follower because we're both Gentile and Jew, right? In a respectful way, be ready to defend, but it implies heavily what? From other people. It implies heavily from what? From other people towards you. I to be... Give you a reason to give you a reason? They're going to be yes. asking you questions. There's this be implication. To Here. Absolutely. The implication in this scripture now, this is not one of the gospel texts, but we can go to Jesus' life, and half of his journey is defending his position. The early church was formed, purified, called, anointed inside of persecution your life has very little of that I praise God for the safety of the gospel I also hope and pray that our safety doesn't remain I'll tell you why what we have now is a weak church you go to places outside of America where I call that the persecuted church or the pressure church versus the safe church or the safe gospel. And you see things such as demonic possession and casting out demons and true authority. You come to America and we have really great altar times. And I'm being just very critical and honest and serious. Whenever I travel outside of the the walls internationally, the moment I hit ground, I experience it. There has been only two Assemblies of God churches in the few years that I have been doing this where we have cast out demons in the church, only two? And yet that was an absolute marker of the early church. Did demons stop showing up? or did we stop engaging? It's a great question to ask, isn't it? The implication is that there's going to be a reason for defense. The encouragement is to make sure you're prepared at all time. Do you see what I'm saying here? Whenever you're reading the scripture, I hope and pray that you transition from, Lord, teach me what the scriptures are, to, Lord, show me so that I can defend you. That's a part of the maturation process. It's less about you than we like to think it is. It's less about us. I know I'm coming, my wife tells me all the time, you come across so angry. I get it. I'm not trying to be angry. I'm trying to really call a generation to understand it's here. It's here. And with the precipitous fall that we can observe through, Uh, things such as the fall of the Iron Curtain, uh, communism in different countries, post-Christian societies through Europe, we can see and we can know, and if we're astute we'll be mindful of it as church leaders, which will be you in the future, that the slope that we're on only picks up pace. It actually doesn't slow down. Why? Because the gospel is offensive. Who in here has an LGBTQIA friend? Who in here feels the pressure of sharing the gospel with them. I was twice reported for hate speech on our campus this year by the LGBTQIA resource officers. Not students, officers. The first time that happened was because we were at a meeting as chaplains and I'm the director of our chaplain evangelical group. We have 33 evangelical campuses or uh, uh, fellowships on our campus. Uh, The majority of them hover to that 10 to 15 student range. And I simply asked this question to the associate director, not a student. And I walked up to them in a safe space that was labeled by them and I said, as a non-affirmer, how can we be friends to you as a Chi Fellowship? As a non-affirmer, how can we be friends to you? And from that, I was reported for hate speech. Yes, I didn't talk to a student, I talked to the director, adult to adult. That triggered this adult. I was called in. I apologized because I did not want to offend, but I said, I do not apologize for the historical Christian narrative. And she said, I don't know what that even means. And I said, I'd like to involve you inside of that. I'd love to have coffee with that. She said, no, thank you. And then she said to me, as long as I'm on this campus, there will not be space for that kind of speech because it's implied that it is what, hate? filled it's implied that i don't have rights It's implied that one narrative has a different narrative you understand know what i'm telling you and i said as long as i'm on this campus there will be room because there has to be and i use this illustration i so said just yesterday i had lunch with saeed me and saeed had chicken wings i paid for them Said is a Sikh Muslim. He does not affirm the Christian faith. I do not affirm the Muslim faith. I say, biblically, that, they, that because you don't know Jesus and are not following Jesus, you do not have an eternal position in heaven. And there's a real hell. He does not postulate that same thing in return. Do we affirm each other? No, we do not affirm each other. We affirm each other in friendship. Because when we got done, it was like, man, can we meet again next week? Of course, because we've been doing it for three years. And I sat there and I told her, I said, if there's room for that, there'll be room for this. But there's something in the arc narrative of post-Christian world called the spirit of the age. You ever heard of something like that? And in these last days, right? How do you defend yourself? You have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to listen. You have to have sat down and read something about it. I'm reading a book right now, two of them actually, on why Christianity should begin to adopt homosexuality and specifically transgenderism. Written by reverends. I'm a reverend myself. Written by academics. I'm an academic myself. Anybody can read something and read a book. (laughs) The problem is, is that the average Christian does not take the time to legitimately sit down Go through the scriptures, write in a journal, begin to postulate a defense, begin to read other defenses, begin to understand how to do it. One, because they're scared. Two, because they're not being led to that that water. Because we want to focus on community. And I hope that the the safe gospel stays, but I'm telling you, I I hope it leaves too. What just happened to me on December 17th, I'm going to tell you the full narrative and then I'm going to give you an illustration on why you have to defend and then we're gonna give some practice. I have 41 minutes, less than that, excuse me. So, who's ever heard of Robbie Zacharias? <laughs> I love Robbie, He's a friend of mine. I uh, have been on their university campus board for a few years. Um, they're based out of Atlanta, I'm out of Atlanta. He's a good looking guy, I'm a better looking guy. All that kind of, you know what I'm saying? No, I'm just, I'm having fun. The point I am making is, is, we're I'm real good friends with them, And literally, uh, we try to get them on the campus because they're, they're going come to Georgia Tech and they're trying to uh, develop this new thing called campus missions and so one of their strategies, like what Chi Alpha has been doing, and amongst other things, is that they go. Man, the university campus has always been really strong. They do Veritas forums, but we want to start doing these things called Think Weeks or Mission Weeks. Is really what they're calling them. We call it Think Weeks. And so for two years, we gathered a, gr- a group of Crew Navigator, RUF, Chi Alpha. I helped lead that, and we got them on the campus, and we did something called Think Week. Cost us a lot of money, but we brought in some of the brightest minds of the RZIM uh, apologetic conversationals across the world. We brought them. We flew in. In from India, we flew them in from Oxford, we flew them in from California, we flew them in from MIT, they came to Georgia Tech. Now, Georgia Tech's pretty high rigor, high intelligent. I mean, I, I get it. It's not like everybody's campus. Our campus, that's very effective. We throw a pizza party, they don't care because they're all on scholarship. We bring in these guys in, they come by 100%. I mean, it's just, it's just a weird thing, you know? We don't party like you guys, we just stay right here. You know, what I'm I mean, truly, that's, that is us. So, for RZIM to come in was a big deal. We promoted it and we maxed out all of our rooms every night. What happened was is because we have had a friendship and because we are Christ ambassadors, even as leaders on the campus, we've been engaging uh, the groups like the LGBTQA for a long time. And so I'm I'm being recorded, so I don't want to say their name, but the director is a friend of ours. We've had a relationship. The problem is, is that RZIM has a very strong stance publicly and teaches against the LGBTQA community. And I'm using this LGBTQA community for a reason. It's because it is right now the hottest button topic on your campus for things such as spiritual life. The same way that the civil rights movement was in the 40s and 50s, this is now our movement. We get to carry this burden. So, this person made it public that when we brought in am the exact quote was, I'm shocked and appalled and hurt that my colleagues, which we are because we're invited fellowship leaders onto this campus, would bring in such a hate-filled organization against not just me, but the people group that I represent. That was public, that was on social media. She did that, he did that, there's a pronoun thing there. Uh, They did that, excuse me, as a leader of our institution. We did Think Week, we had things happen. It was awesome. We had people get saved. We had people start having conversations. We spent weeks before sharing the topic of, with our students, discipling them on how to defend their faith. I left for Europe on the very last day. My team was running it. I had to go to Europe to do some things. While I, When I came back, in the middle of that, I had an email sent to us by our dean, chaplains, please consider joining the LGBTQIA community for a sensitivity training hosted by that person and another reverend, so that you can learn a little bit on how to engage specifically the transgender community. It was voluntary, not required. As the director of our evangelical fellowship, I felt compelled to go Number one, I think Jesus would have done it given the situation. Two, I need to learn how people think. Can I tell you that there's some pastors that gave me flat for going? And I look at them and say, I'm sorry, you're teaching a different gospel than me. I went there. We did our sensitivity training, but there was a specific breakout of the four breakouts of the couple, like maybe a hundred people that were there from like health officials across the city and from hospitals. And it was a very upper echelon group of people. We had five chaplains that were there and there was a specific breakout for chaplains. Now, what happened there is where things get very interesting concerning the apologetic culture for your world. I'm going to, I cannot show this to you other than I'm going to show this to you. These are the scanned slides, so you're not reading this, but you see that there, these are real slides. You are following what I'm saying? Okay, there's a very strong do not disseminate this information from this organization type of thing. I ain't going to jail. So you're following what I'm saying? And this person, Reverend such and such, a female who has a uh, transgender woman uh, partner, former Assemblies of God, both tongue talkers, and they, she went to Asbury University during the revival times. And she begins to talk about Genesis 1 as a poem. Do we understand it has poetic nature in it? Yes, yes you should. If you don't understand that, that's the reason why there's two gospel narratives inside of one and two of Genesis. One is very poetic. One is very um, observational and systematical. They're both a part of that. If you can't defend that, you start some places like that. Inside of this narrative, she says, in the beginning, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. We understand that. And she said, man, what a beautiful poem. In the beginning, the Lord created the sun and the moon or the darkness. And she began to talk about that. And then she says, but does it say anywhere about the transition pieces? To which I went, you have my attention. (laughs) She said, does it say anywhere that the Lord created the beach? Don't we love the beach? Does it say anywhere that the Lord created the sunset or the sunrise? Don't we prefer that time of day? No. So in this poem, which we have adopted in the historical Christian narrative, that means that there could be room for a spectrum of what it means to be created. What a bad hermeneutic. But she was hook, line, and sinker, and I'm listening. And then she began to go off and talk about a couple things. I will read them to you. Have you ever heard of the word eunuch? Raise your hand if you heard the word eunuch. I would like for you to encourage, be encouraged to go read the word eunuch, specifically Matthew 19. We're going to talk, we are going can talk about that afterwards. I don't have the time at the SALT conference because they got me running stuff. But I will tell you, you need to go look and read it if you're encouraged and you want to engage this community. Or just go read a really good book. I can give you some resources on that. This is where she started off. She went into eunuchs from exclusion to inclusion. She started from Deuteronomy 23, where the eunuchs, according to the Mosaic law, was not accepted and they were considered outcast, To Isaiah 56. Who knows what Isaiah it is it's a prophetic book, right? Minor prophet, right? Or one of the prophets? Major. Thank you. <laughs> Don't listen to this guy. Uh, prophet, pretty big guy. Did you know he's considered a false prophet until Jesus was born? <laughs> Seven hundred years. You ever thought about that? Most prophets should. So outlandish that it doesn't work until it works. <laughs> Isaiah 56 gives a prophecy. Have you ever heard of the prophetic in the eunuch of the eunuch in the in Isaiah 56? I didn't think so. Most Christians have not. There's only one little sentence in there. I'll let you go find it for yourself. Don't do it right now. Once you to continue listening, she used that prophecy of the eunuch to be inclusioned all the way into Matthew 19, where Jesus literally talks about the eunuch about when he's defending marriage between a man and a woman, and then he begins he this really t- uh, difficult to understand teaching, especially in our limited English language. So yes, you do need to know some Greek, and you want to learn some Hebrew as well whenever you start looking at the Old Testament. And he and she began to talk about how Jesus says, there's some that were born eunuchs. And okay, now we're starting to see a narrative, right? Right? <coughs> And then she made this statement. Oh, and by the way, we are absolutely confident as scholars that Jesus knew a transgender man. Now, has anybody in this room ever read the scriptures where Jesus has met a transgender person? Okay, didn't think so. Does anybody know the exact statistic given to us currently by the CDC? from, I think, 2012 to 2015 of how, of what percentage of, trans, of the world in our current American society is transgender? Didn't think so either. I'm going to give it to you. It's way less than 1%. So, she makes this claim. How do we know that Jesus knew these things? Let me read to you four of her points. Jesus must have known a transgender diverse person who was born that way. Jesus does not condemn gender diverse people. Jesus knew that there was more than one way to live out one's gender. We have no account of Jesus healing a gender diverse person. Do you know if these statements are true or not? That's apologetics. Right there. That's why you're in this class. That's why you have to decode from this class. And become a student of the scriptures. Not an observer of the scriptures. There is coming a time in your situation. In your current culture. Where you are going to have to defend your faith. There's coming a time. And I don't know the time frame. I have no idea. We can look at the arc narrative. Of how it's happened in other countries. And I'm telling you it's going to be fast. Where quickly. There's going to be a separation of the chaff and wheat. And it's going to look a lot alike. So she wouldn't say, turn over to the book of Mark, chapter 14. You don't have to do that. I'm going to tell you what's going on. How do we know that these statements are true? Now, she is a scholaristic PhD from Asbury College who is telling me that this whole narrative. She said, do you remember when Jesus is preparing the Passover supper? Everybody understands this. You may have read this a couple times in your scriptures. What does he tell his disciples to go do? Go into the city. When you meet a man doing what? Uh, Carrying. What's that? He was about, you, right? Almost. Carrying a water jug. That was, that was actually not almost. Carrying <laughs> <laughs> a water jug. And what did they say? Jesus says to that person... Or to the apostles, ask him where they're supposed to sit at the Passover and he'll tell you. Now, hermeneutically, does everybody know what hermeneutics is? The study of the contextual idea of culture inside of the actual listeners and readers' perspective. Okay? The hermeneutic of that is, what was carrying the, uh, we talked about last night, who carried the jars of water usually? Women. What's different about this story? A man is doing it. Her conclusion, which has been labeled scholastic, and most people have understood this to be true now, that Jesus had a relationship, at least in friendship, with this man who was a transgender woman. No, the scripture doesn't say that. That was what you wanted the scriptures to say because you have an agenda. Don't we have agendas as Christians as well? I tell people all the time, my goal is for you to come to the cross and die so that you can be alive again. That's an agenda. We all have agendas. Let's not kid ourselves. She has an agenda. They have an agenda. They're using scripture. And then she goes it a step further. In Acts chapter 8, we have a guy named Philip who does what? Baptizes a eunuch. She labels the eunuch as transgender, says that Jesus is encouraging and endorsing transgender people, goes to a book of Isaiah, which is our most factual, prophetic moment about the New Testament expression of our church, and says that this is going to be prophesied, begin to belittle the foundation all the way up to Genesis 1. There's an arc narrative. That she created, and at the very end, talking to us five chaplains who are directors of our respective fellowships, and she said, Now that I've taught you the gospel, what do you do with it? That was her word. What do you think I said? (laughs) No. Did use apologetics? I did exactly what Jesus did. I asked her question with a question. I said, I'm going to her name, excuse me. I said, have you ever read 2 Timothy 3? Yes. Have you ever read that in the last days that there would be false teaching that even the elect would be deceived? Yes. What you have just told me actually started in the 70s. Do you agree with that? Yes. In the time frame of our Christendom, you would consider that to be a speck of time? Yes. So when you just ask me to acquiesce and believe and change my entire theology, how is that a not a part of the fulfillment of end-time prophecy and the ushering in the return of Jesus Christ in the last days as a false teaching? And you know what her response was? It was very educated. Well, in light of slavery, I feel like it's along the same thing. In light of racism, I feel like it's along the same thing. Eventually we're going to have the revelation, I believe this is the revelation. To which I responded, I believe you're right. How how in the world is the church going to be deceived? Because by the way, if you understand Matthew 25, it's the church that's first deceived. How in the world is the church gonna be deceived if you can't use our own scriptures to defend your false position? That's how deception works, a strong truth with deception. I so said, "What you just taught is going to be accepted by the masses," but I reject it here formally because I want to go to heaven. Two weeks before, I was standing at the Pantheon. I got this really cool picture that I was there. Have you Who's ever seen the Pantheon person? Thank you. Pantheon. you? That's cool. Pictures. Pantheon is an 1,800-year-old building where Pan, mini theology, Theon. That's where the world religious came to Rome, and they literally came and they talked about. There's a guy named Paul. He wrote a lot of our New Testament. He began to espouse and verbally proclaim much of our New Testament theology in the front doorstep of the pantheon. I went to the forum in Rome where literally Paul stood and began to defend the faith and he was stoned. And then he was at Greece and then he came back to Rome because he was thrown in jail so he could go stand in front of the king. I stood in that place two weeks previous and I said, Lord... I know that you are the one true God. I know that there is no other God but yours. How do I know that? But for your revelation. Lord, thank you for your revelation. Same as Peter's, I'm nothing special. You have the same revelation as well. Lord, can I defend that? And he said, you don't have the guts. Two weeks before, little did I know that on December 17th, I had to stand in front of somebody and defend it and have some guts. What I'm telling you is do not be naive. 1 Peter 3, it's very clear. There has got to be a place for your generation to be ready. It doesn't require you to, to sit on the floor. It doesn't require you to be weak in mindset. All it requires you is to open your mind. Do you have the skill set and the gifting to defend in front of kings? Maybe not everybody. Not everybody's supposed to be a Paul. You follow what I'm saying? But everybody has got to be ready to defend their faith. Do you understand, I'm trying to place in you a very strong reality of what we're up against. Yes, it's college, man, we have a great time. Yes, it's Kai Alpha, we love to have a celebration. And the reality is it's life and death for souls. This is eternity. We just brand it Kai Alpha. It's actually the kingdom. And by the way, a little side note, don't be so high and mighty on Kai Alpha, be high and mighty on the kingdom, because that's a lot of different places. And I love Chi Alpha, as a director of Chi Alpha. I I love Chi Alpha. I just just wanted to throw that out there. I'm going to give you some room for questions in just a second, but I'm really trying to lay this out. Who's apologetics for? I can't tell you this enough. It's for everyone. And I'm talking about those that have the great capacity to learn and understand and those that don't. You have got to, at some point in time, be able to defend the faith. If you can't tell why Jesus was born of a virgin, then you need to start there. When's the last time you heard a teaching on the reason why Jesus was born of a virgin? You know why that's critical? How about the fact that we have this Muslim birth moment? Do you know that there's an actual prophecy in dealing with why the Muslim nation and the Christian nation have been propagated and in, 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 uh, growing in such diversity so that they can come back in the end age for Gog and Magog? Those two things? Did you even know that? Can you defend that? Why in the world was Adam who he was why did Jesus actually need to be born of a baby why you, these are things that true, that used to be on nine lines, and this is not a belittling of us matter of fact I take full responsibility as the leader and really the leaders before me but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm taking that responsibility it's not your fault I'm not trying to say you haven't been taught these things you haven't been called to a higher mystery can you have you ever read Pelagius versus Arminian uh, conversations about free will versus versus God's sovereignty? To me, it's the greatest mystery of our entire faith. Everything that I read gets processed through that one conversation. I've landed on a on, on a position. It's a both end. I can't figure it out. You know what the Lord told me? You better be glad you can't figure it out because then you'd be your own God. Hey Lord, thank you for your mysteries. I know not what I'm talking about. Isn't that what Job says in Job 42.6? I take it all back. I was speaking about things I knew not of. When is this generation going to devour the scriptures, not just read it and journal it and talk about it in life group? When is it going to really change us? You know why I love live dead? For a hundred reasons, but I'm going to start a couple. Literally, it's because they say, I'm not going to a place unless I can die for them. I love that. I wish Kai Alpha was called Live Dead. I actually asked them if I could take Live Dead Kai Alpha. they said no. <laughs> I do have the Reddit page and I do have the PayPal page, so if you go to Reddit, Kai Alpha, and pay, it's me. Anyway, um, <laughs> long story short, another reason why I love it is because it's mandatory two hour abide time. They don't even call it quiet time, it's abide time. Go be with Jesus for two hours mandatory. I was in Tajikistan in January, got arrested for it, it's a whole different story. but. Uh, It's a closed country. While we were there, we went up into the Taliban area to share the gospel with people. We came back. They were videotaping us. I never had been scared for the gospel before, and I felt so alive. For the first time, I went, man, yeah. Now, I'm not going to that place. Lord, thank you for sending other missionaries. (laughs) I'm telling you. I like to visit. Thank you. But it really, it got me going. When is it going to happen? Who is it for? It is for everyone. You're not, everybody's going to have that skill set and you shouldn't. I'm thankful for that. What is it? What's a set of techniques? I can't teach you how to do apologetics. I can only propel you to start to actually think differently. I mean that. Not everybody's supposed to be a great community. You want to tell a little secret about the gospel? Go read 1 Corinthians 1.17. Paul says, I hope to never come to you with eloquence of speech and a high intellect so that it doesn't take away from the power of the cross. What does the church focus on? Great communicators, people who are smart. How about some people who were just saying, you know what, I'm just going to die for this thing. Let's go do it. Why? You, how do you get compelled to die about something you're so convinced, so convinced that you're willing to say, nope, that's not true. Do you know the pressure I felt in that small room? Oh, I felt pressure. You know Why? My job depends on my response. My income depends on my response. My, how I'm viewed by colleagues depends on my response. Yeah, I felt pressure. I went home and ate a lot of pizza that night. (laughs) And a burrito, but don't hold it against me. When do we defend our faith? At all times. You're defending your faith just standing here. I'm, I'm just sitting here. You know what I'm following. You're just, just that you're here at Salt, you're defending your faith. You don't view it that way, but you really are. We're coming together as a group of people underneath the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are now marking ourselves. Do you realize that that used to be a place where that was illegal? And this was not fun. You want to read a great book, just a little fun narrative book, 750 pages by Randy Alcorn. It's called Safely Home. By the way, I read that book last year. Took my wife along a long, little bit of time to read it. I like to read a lot. That's fun for me. I read it. Man, it shocked me, challenged me. It's about the persecuted church. Literally what happened a month ago. What did the, did the uh, malice government just go and do? Destroyed every megachurch that they could find. On the news. Look it up on your smart device just happened. Yes, ma'am. Randy Alcorn. It's a fictional book based on real things that happened. So it's a narrative almost like a a long parable. Great one. When? At all times. Where? Everywhere you go. But how do we do it? With love. With gentleness. First Peter 3. With a humility. With an anointing. The separate spirit of this world with a place where we're going, my goodness. Lord, if I don't have you today, I don't go just like Moses prayed, just like Paul prayed. You know, one of my favorite scriptures in all the scriptures, Paul uh, was going up to a city to share the gospel. and The Bible says the Holy Spirit would not allow him in the city. We don't know how that happened. I don't know I doubt it was some kind of sword that was from heaven. I doubt that it was somebody that just blocked him because he got stoned in different places. He doesn't say that, or Luke doesn't say that. You know what, really? In his spirit, Paul was so attuned that while he's walking up to the front gates of the city, the Lord says, nope, not this one. Go to the next. When and where and how? All of us today at all times through his anointing of spirit and the fruit of the spirit. Now, you do have a task, you have gotta be intellectual, you gotta practice, you gotta go after it, you gotta learn. At our fellowship, we have 23 areas of Bible that you will learn for the, next, for the first two and a half years of your faith. Our vision is to develop the most equipped disciple possible. You will get a seminary level understanding of the scriptures for the first 23 areas that I believe important for your Christian faith so that you can defend it. I don't teach people how to do Chi Alpha. I teach people how to follow Jesus. Then we do Kai Alpha by being a follower of Christ. I love Kai Alpha. All right, I've got four minutes. I could keep going and I'm not gonna go on. Does anybody have any hard questions that they wanna talk about or questions about what I just gave? Or is anybody need an admit? Yes? What's your start like? How do you start the introduction into apologetics and self-advocacy? Maybe a Christian household but all in the season, right? right? Yeah, it's a great question. I love that question. We actually start very simple with the life of Christ. There's a couple of books with that. Uh, we're doing Beth Moore's right now. Uh, Simply Jesus, I think it's what it's called, or Jesus is the One and Only. Maybe it's, it's, it's Beth Moore's. I just like her very descriptive way of doing it. The reason why we start with the life of Jesus. If you start off with these hard, and this is a very, this is a very interesting thing. Uh, the biblical teaching is don't start off with the hard thing to a young baby. You follow what I'm saying? So we we try to start with the Gospels first. So it, it all depends on where we have an assessment process. But if somebody first gets saved, we just try to give them Jesus, and then we start talking about the baptism, Holy Spirit, Pentecostal expression, because Jesus is not actually here, although we say that it's His Spirit and the apologetic thing that we're supposed to be mindful of, but we get wrong from the stage all the time. Literally, we go into what the Holy Spirit is for us the third dispensation of God. But all of that is to point back to our crown jewel and our King Jesus. So they have to start there. And then I think what you're really asking is how do you, as a person who's already been a Christ follower, where do you start? Um, Man, we have... Uh, 13 books that we consider DNA books that we start pushing them. And we really just kinda, in our one-on-one process, figure out where somebody's at. Some of them include the Typicals, Mere Christianity. I don't like starting there. Part of it's because of the way that the language is written. Um, but I do like things such as Tactics by Coco. I, mean, I can give you a whole bunch of books. It really just depends where they're at. There is not a set one way uh, for something like this. Because everybody has different intellect. And I'm not belittling anybody or celebrating anybody else. They're just different places of life. And, um, but I hope that answers your question and gives you more ambiguity. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yes. So I know it all really comes down to uh, us and how we think and changing how we think and adapting to a more apologetic way. But is there, if we're not going to be running from you directly or from this, this class we're talking about, is there a list online of like resources that we want to like, dig in on our own time yeah, I mean, there's literally thousands. There's a couple that I do use, RZIM, just because I'm friends with them, and they're very safe and nationally known. Carm, uh, the guy Michael's a friend of mine. I met him. I went to the World Religions Conference in uh, 2015 October uh, to defend the faith. They're All the world religions were in one spot. They do it every four years. It's a very pagan thing. Um, <laughs> if you want to go see demons like you've never seen, go, just go to that one little thing. We were worshiping the bacteria of salt that had been seeded here through transposing. It was amazing. Um, and crazy at the same time. Uh, Carm is a reformed perspective of like gotquestions.org, that kind of stuff. Actually I have two books that I' brought with me that I left in the car. There's some very safe ones, uh, evidence that demands a new verdict by Josh McDowell super super safe. It is going to be a Baptist theology. in other words, it's not going to have a real strong expression, Pentecostal perspective, Holy Spirit. but there's actually very little. Pentecostal perspective apologetics, and that's because of our expression of the Rama or Rama versus the Lagos. because um, we like to live in the spirit first as Pentecostals, and I think that needs to be shifted. So most of the stuff's more reformed people. you don't know what that means when you have a different conversation, but it's a great question. There are thousands. And here's the thing. If you go well, let me let me cave on this. I don't teach people how to think, I teach them, I'm sorry, reverse that. I don't teach people what to think, I teach them how to think. That's one of our five accents of Kyopha. Meaning, it is not my job to sit here and say, This is the theology of the assemblies of God, this is the theology of the reform, this is the theology, and I subscribe to this, follow me and the follow Christ. That's a false narrative. We've broken that system. A true apologetic person, a true seeker, reads everything, superimposes it with the scriptures, asks for divine revelation, and for surrendering to that, and then we have some really balanced people that are really smart. And I mean that. Now, Where's, what's the danger though? You can get very crazy cattywampus off kilter. That's why we have accountability, that's why we do have leadership, that's why we do have people who are uh, over us trying to guide us. So you always have to have a humility. But I have not yet read a book that I was like, that's 100%. And then I've been very thankful when I read a book and I went, oh, that was wrong. And then they gave an update and I was like, I knew they were wrong and I felt very proud. and then I'm like, Lord, forgive me. Yeah. I mean, very truthful. I'm telling you, if you're a true apologetic, you read everything. My pastor yesterday said, hey, man, give me three books for this new year. And by the way, don't give me the crazy stuff. And I was like, I got nothing for you. The stuff I'm reading is crazy. Because the other stuff, I've already kind of got there. And It's not a prideful thing. I want you to hear what I'm trying to say. It's like, you know, who's, who, who's an engineer here? If you go back to to, uh, to pre-calculus, don't you just kind of go, I got it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, been there, got the foundation. You're following what I'm saying there is a level of understanding and growth, but read everything after the your campus pastors told you what to read. <laughs> I don't want to belittle that moment. Great question, yes. So uh, a lot of the people that I tend to have to have apologetic conversations with tend to be like professors and stuff, where they come from more science and backgrounds, yeah. but a lot of the people recently that I've been having uh, conversations and debates come from more occult origins and mm-hmm. their beliefs. Yes. And so what are ways that would help me better uh, engage mm-hmm. and kind of debate the more the people involved in occult I'm going to give you a real spiritual answer and then I'm going to give you a real practical answer. Pray in the spirit 30 minutes a day in your abide time first thing in the morning. You cannot go into those moments. Guys, I'm telling you, in the post-Christian, post-modern society, intellect doesn't work. It's only the authority of the, of the Holy Spirit. Then I want to give you a practical thing. Go look at Mark chapter 11 and then Mark chapter 12, first part of 13. You'll so you'll finish this conversation. It's a conversation where four moments happen on the, in the temple courts that Jesus engaged the Sanhedrin, and then it, it, it goes from levels of people. And observe how he responded to them. Never forget everything that we have is faith, even our law of thermodynamics are based off of the unknown. Everything is faith. What you have got to understand, it's kingdom versus kingdom in the spirit world. It's not intellect versus intellect. It's his kingdom versus their kingdom. Their kingdom has intellectual capacity. Ours does as well. So it's not about winning the argument. Another one of our axioms, and again, if you were, if you were in part of a fellowship, you'll hear these five axioms. One of them that I told you is that I don't teach you what to think but how to think Another one is we never try to win the argument, we try to win the heart, you win the heart, you win the argument. So when I go and engage every conversation, not trying to win the argument, we've already won. I already had the revelation. They don't have the revelation yet. It's my job to give them the revelation as best I can through the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that takes one conversation, more often it's gonna take years. It's a great book, a friend of mine that passed away named Nabil Karashi. He wrote, uh, thank you. Really one of the best men I've ever met in my life. He passed away just recently seeking um, Allah, finding Jesus will help you not necessarily learn how to engage the Muslim world though you will learn some skills. It will give you this understanding of what it really means to tell somebody that they need to come to a new faith. It revolutionized how I engage our internationals and I view all of our post-Christian students in the same way. They are coming from a non-understanding and I'm asking you to come into a new kingdom which has all these steps and comforts. And that takes sometimes seven years, eight years, maybe lifetimes. Then you have to define your wins. That's a whole different system. I know, I'll get your question, just a second, thank you. And I know that what I'm talking about, I wish, really we didn't have an apologetics conference. (laughs) But that we can't do that. I mean, you get it. I mean, We could if you guys wanna come. You're following what I'm saying. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I would love to do. I can't, you can't fix all these things in this question. Just go learn, go read, go find somebody that can do it. Yes. Conversation about, uh, free oh, yeah. That, well, that's actually um, like a 400 AD conversation by a guy named um, Arminius and Pelagius. Uh, it's very dry, and the language is going to be old. So I would, I would suggest you find a commentary on that. Um, It's funny, I'm more reformed than the Assemblies of God wants me to believe, but I'm not enough enough for the Presbyterians to accept me, so I stay in the Assemblies of God. Uh, And I love Chi Alpha. No, what I'm I'm, I'm saying is is that it's this major tension, and there has been, you can read anything from John Calvin, that's purest form of Calvinism, and then you can read anything from any free will person, and you just compare and contrast. And what you're going to find, and this is one of the biggest dangers, we as Christians want to be right. And so we as Christians have staked our claim and our identities on certain things. And so we as Christians don't like to live in that radical middle because that means that we could be wrong. And yet that's exactly how it should be. If we could figure this thing out, we are God. I tell people this when I'm whenever I'm teaching our students and I'm very thankful for our students, but I say the very fact that you want to know the answer implies two things. Number one, is that you want to know something about the mysteries of God, so you're a seeker. Thank you for that. Number two is, you wanna be right, so you're prideful. So live in that tension. What I mean for you is just, there's a ton of it, go out and read. I will caution, when it comes to deep things of theology, there's a reason why for 1500 years since the Pantheon's time that we haven't figured it out. We've got branches of understanding until the Lord reveals everything in his return, you know, it really doesn't matter. So i caveat that. Great question. Guys, I've thoroughly enjoyed my time with you. I wish we did have more. Thank you so much. Go worship. God bless you. If you have any questions, feel free to come talk. But if not, go out here and have a great lunch. or Wherever you're going to. Thank, Thank you. you so much.